What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. for myself. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for that wonderful intro. That was, that was amazing. I'm going I'm to start incorporating you more so with that too, Chris. I, I have to get on to him about that, but um, either way, <laughs> a fun intro. How are you doing, my friend? Are you having a good week? I'm having a pretty good week, man. I got no complaints. I'm sitting here drinking some green tea and just getting ready to talk about some wrestling. I got a monster in front of me, so we're basically drinking the same stuff, healthy and all that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, hey, guys, like normally, uh, we have a great episode for you guys tonight. Uh, Definitely chime in on Facebook. Let us know how you feel about the episode. Just go to the link of this show and comment, and we'll try to get back and uh, create some conversation if you want to call the show. You know, don't feel obligated or anything like that, but we'd love to talk to you. It's 929-477-3781. You'll be on hold. Press 1 to join the conversation. So, Chris, we've got uh, quite, a, quite a couple things to talk about today. Uh, some, some stuff happened. Uh, we're actually <laughs> going to be talking a little bit of football first to start things off. Uh, a, a big announcement from Vince McMahon uh, involving his new uh, sports group, Alpha Entertainment, was scheduled to happen today at 3 p.m. Uh, it did, actually. He had a live uh, stream. Everyone from JR to friggin' Jason David Frank, the Green Ranger, were streaming it and, you know, telling people to join. It was crazy. Lots of people were watching. Um, a lot of fun to find out that he's resurrecting the XFL, which is what all of us thought. Now, you know, me and Chris kind of talked about this beforehand. That doesn't really incorporate what we talk about. Obviously, Vince is the owner. Um but I did watch the whole entire thing, uh, mainly because I was trying to get an answer from all of it. And the answer for the question, his involvement with the WWE product once it starts getting up and running. Uh, first thing to know is that he said that he will still be create, the creative mind uh, chief executive for uh, Raw once it starts. And even if that's not true, and even if he apparently has a partner involved in all this, that was going to help him run the whole entire thing. Um, it's not going to start until 2020. So it looks like booking wise, we got Vincent friends for quite a while, at least the next couple of years. Um, very ambitious concept, Chris. How do you feel about all this? Um, honestly, I, I was kind of thinking the same thing with you and, and my biggest worried when we talk about this a while back, I don't even know if it was on the podcast, but it was more about, the fact that he had sold off company stock, which would have been his own money, basically, and he's seeping like $100 million to get this thing up and running. My worry was how it was going to affect the overall products. I do think, that, like you said, uh, 
don't think that he's taking into consideration how hard it is to start football league again, even though he's done it before. He's definitely going to have to step back a little bit from storylines on Raw, and maybe when he's talking about storylines on Raw, he's talking about uh, big picture, like WrestleMania, Royal Rumble. He always has his hands in that quite a bit uh, with major storylines and kind of where he wants to go. But to me, when this thing launches up, he's going to have to dial it back quite a bit. Uh, I was never a huge fan of the XFL, even as uh, I would say a football fan, but not a huge football fan. Um, It's going to be interesting to see what comes out of it. Uh, there's a lot of nostalgia associated with it kind of as a silly thing, but I don't, I don't know that people will be super into it, but my worry, my biggest worry is how much involvement he has in the product. Does the product dip because he refuses to hand over the reins um, in WWE to go deal with this thing that he wants to do? Or is it going to be that he kind of passes it to triple H while he's doing this XFL season and getting prepared for this uh, thing, which I'm, which, to me, all the work is going to happen on the front end in 2019, which is you know getting all the players signed and and uh, creating the teams, team logos, because uh, of what he was saying, it's going to be he basically owns all the teams. There's not going to be like individual franchises or anything. So it's going to be interesting to see where it goes. Um, I, I, my biggest worry is this thing flops and then he loses 100 million dollars, and you start seeing. Um, cut talent and weird stuff happen in the WWE to try to regain that money because because of the way uh, Vince McMahon has worked in the past with big uh, big endeavors like this, such as uh, you, you know your WWE uh, restaurant in Times Square and some of the things that he's done uh, the XFL previously. But outside of that, I mean, um, I didn't get to watch the actual press conference, so all the information I have is uh, based off a couple articles that I read and what we talked about beforehand. So I'll probably tune into ESPN just to see what they're talking about later. Cause I think that'll probably be pretty hilarious. But other than that, it's to me, it's interesting. Um, but the biggest thing is the wrestling product. I hope the wrestling product doesn't suffer because a, because Vince McMahon doesn't have his full attention towards it or is unable to, you know, put it in the hands of someone who can give it their full attention uh, and B, I hope this thing doesn't flop so hard that he just loses the $100 million he has invested, which I'm sure he'll have other investors backing it as well, um, because I think that will affect, you know, the talent indirectly, whether he'll he'll come out and say that or not. Very, very well said. And I, I mean, I think it's funny. is like, I agree with you. Um, and when it comes down to it, it's like, don't allow this to affect your product, but at the same time, allow this to keep you out of the product at the same time. Like, you know, we love you, Vince, but maybe a little bit more direct hands-on help and a lack of 50-50 booking could really help your product a lot. And I think that, you know, we've, we've gone over this a ridiculous amount of times, but I think that what Triple H has accomplished, how he books things with his crew, including Michael Cole, you know, um, I think that him leading it would would define a better product. Um, and I'm not just saying for the uh, the marks like me and you, Chris, even though we're not marks. Um, but for the majority of people out there that like the stuff, you know, it has had a decline when it comes to when I was watching wrestling. And I, I, don't, I don't think it was because of the maturity thing. I, I honestly think the product was better in the 90s and 2000s, uh, the, that, that, that time period between actually – I would say 95 to 2005, maybe 2006. 
Um, and uh, it's it says it in the numbers. It says it in a lot of ways. But that's the main thing. Don't let this affect – because you have a loss from this if you do. Don't let it affect the talent involved in your product. Don't uh, Don't try to do both and then second guess or – uh, you know, not even do a worse job right now booking uh, because you're you have your attention different places instead of giving it to you know Triple H and probably Shane and probably Stephanie all you know in different roles and stuff like that but Triple H mainly um, and uh, yeah just kind of if you want to do this if you want to get if this wants to be your legacy I think this is ambitious as as shit for a seventy three seventy two year old man to try something like this again. He's learned from his mistakes in the past. And before we move on, I'll just kind of cue you guys in on a couple things from the press conference. Some of the main stuff that he went over that was asked. Um, apparently he's going to have eight teams. Um, there's going to be no one uh, as a, he's not going to franchise any of the teams. There's not going to be owners. He's going to own all of them. Uh, this is going to happen. We don't know how long the season is right now. Um, this is going to happen Shortly after the Super Bowl, I think a month after the Super Bowl, and then the XFL will start up. So if you're really that into football, you can watch it now year long, is I think what he's going for, obviously. Um, he said this, his uh, wanting to resurrect this has nothing to do with the current state of the NFL, which I think is bullshit, and has nothing to do with the popularity of the uh, 30 for 30, which I also think is bullshit. But, hey, maybe he's, he's telling the truth, and that's fine. Um, he says that... He doesn't have players. Uh, he doesn't have cities. This is going to be two years that he's going to be working on this. That was one of the bad things he did before him, which was kind of go into everything without, you know, really organizing stuff and making sure that you have the right players and stuff like that. So, uh, and he also said that there's going to be no crossovers between wrestlers or announcers from past and present within anything that's going on with the XFL. He wants to make it completely separate. This is an entity. He loves football. He wants to try this. So those are the main details. Um, we'll have to actually just wait and see what happens. Um, I just know as a fan of – well, actually not as a fan of sports that I don't really care. Um, no offense, you know, if – I mean, I'm from New England. you know how bad it is for my dad when I say that I just don't give a shit about the Patriots? Like, I don't. I, I really don't care about football. I was actually at a really awkward party that I was working at last year when the Falcons lost – uh, to the Patriots, and a couple people knew that I was originally from up north, and I was like, I, I, I'm sorry, I didn't do anything. So I'm glad you guys like your footballs. I'm a wrestling guy, and I'm, I'm more worried about this affecting wrestling, or at least WWE's platform of wrestling in certain ways. But um, Chris, did you have any closing statements before we move on? No, I mean, I, I as a football fan, uh, I'm, I'm not too interested in this. I always thought the XFL kind of was like very gimmicky. Um, if they got some controversial players and make it kind of a spectacle, I would probably check it out, but I don't see it being something that I would ever watch long-term. And like I said, uh, and, and completely agree with you on is as long as it doesn't, I hope it doesn't hurt the product. As long as it's not hurting the product and Vince is just spending his own money and completely fine. If this thing flops, then, you know, I, I have no problem with it and maybe it'll, maybe it'll work and it'll become uh popular enough for him to at least make a profit on. But uh, I just think the majority of football fans want football in its purest form um, with college football in the NFL. Uh, I mean, you already have stuff like arena football league and and different forms of similar things uh, to what the XFL was that I don't necessarily know that 
going to get over unless they can get some, you know, old retired NFL players who aren't doing anything, who want, you know, just to be on TV or something. Uh, someone like Terrell Owens or uh, Tim Tebow or uh, maybe even someone like Randy Moss or uh, personalities. If they can get the right personalities, then it, it might. Those guys are also older and kind of few and far between. So. Well, like I said, we'll have to find out. And uh, until then, looks like Vinny Mac is staying on for some wrestling. Yeah. God damn it. Oh, man. I, I, I understand age, Chris. I understand that, that, that stuff happens, and I understand this man's been running himself into the ground for years. And I have immense respect for Vince McMahon. Don't get me wrong. But what happened to his creative, like, it's just gone. It's kind of like... Yeah, that's fine. Just do that. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he wins. Uh, yeah, I, I know he's he's a heel, and it makes absolutely no sense in storyline. Just, just do it. Just do it. I, I just I don't get it. Well, I mean, what I would say to that is a, a lot of the stuff. The biggest error of you know Monday Night Raw, the majority of the storyline was directly related to Vince McMahon and Vince McMahon Stooges in Stone Cold Steve Austin. Um, even as The Rock got popular, he was part of the corporate rock. So I think him being actually part of it helps a lot with the booking, but you also have to look at the superstars he had. Um, and you could say that you have, you know, the same you, you have, I would say you have better wrestling talent now than you had in the 90s as far as in-ring ability, but you don't have, you don't have a guy like, you know, The Rock, and, uh, you know, Stone Cold and, and Triple H even to some extent. Um, and him relying on bringing back top-name stars in the past few years to hotshot fading and pay-per-views, uh, I think it's kind of hurt. Uh, instead of taking, you know, talent and building them or finding that next guy, missing on someone for so long like he did with Daniel Bryan, um, CM Punk leaving, I think those are all things that, like, hurt far as you know booking goes in a lot of ways because you don't have one major storyline you have many a bunch of main event players who kind of are just going back and forth between each other which is how it feels on raw a lot uh i think smackdown kind of does a little bit of a better job but definitely on raw it, it seems like they just bounce back and forth between big superstar to big superstar but none of those superstars are even close to like where Daniel Bryan or CM Punk was. So you don't have someone to build one show around. Um, so I, I'm not going to put it all on him just being old. And I do think there's a lot of things that Triple H is able to do in NXT to build new superstars or build superstars from other companies that Vince hasn't been able to do on Monday Night Raw. And I think a lot of that has to do with it being three hours long, like we've talked about in the past, um, which I heard it is going back to two hours with yep. this new USA TV contract, which I think will help. But I do agree with you. Um, if you start comparing, you know, NXT to Raw and the way they book it, uh, it's kind of booked for different audiences. And also, it's not all Vince McMahon. A lot of it has to do with who they hire to write Raw. Like, a lot of it's TV writers, not actually actual wrestling personalities. And it seems more like uh, with NXT, you're talking about people that were in the wrestling business uh, for long periods of time and not necessarily TV writers. So it's, it's kind of apples and oranges, but I agree with you. It'd be interesting to see even on a, a trial basis, if, if he stepped back and said, okay, let me give Triple H the reins for a month and see 
what we get out of it. Um, but it would have to be a clean slate. Like it would have to be a clean slate, like after Mania. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Are you there, Dane? You got, uh, my phone cut out, cut out a little bit. Oh, can you hear me? Don't tell me we're gonna yeah, I can hear you now. Phone. Sorry, sorry about that. My phone cut out. Whew. No, you're good. I was worried that I cut out. Um, we've been having weird issues with this uh, with this program, but uh, yeah. Um, wow, I lost my train of thought. We were talking about Vince and um, Triple H, and uh, yeah, I find it funny. That's all I got. I had a statement to make, but. Can't remember, so we're just going to move on to a pro- to a uh, topic that I really just don't even want to talk about. But we're going to—I mean, have, we have to talk about it. It's a news item. Uh, Enzo Moore is no more. Uh, he's gone. He's been stripped of the cruiserweight title. Hopefully, they gave it to someone that's, uh, you know, deserving. I—I I think that it's been proven uh, that Cedric Alexander has worked his ass off, and probably after what's happened with now Enzo and Rick Swan and then Neville leaving before that, and Austin Aries leaving before that. Um, you know, Cedric, Cedric's probably the next guy up, I would say. Uh, him or Drew Gulak. I think those guys have shown that they have a place in WWE, I, I think, if the Cruiserweight division crumbles. I think those two guys especially uh, do, uh, just based on talent and um, other things. But uh, either way, getting back down to it, I'm trying to stray away from this whole entire conversation. So Enzo had some um, some rape allegations, basically. Uh, I've read uh, some of the stuff from the victim. Um, it's not 100% proven. Uh, there's apparent evidence uh, disclosing that it might be bullshit, uh, but the victim has also said an opposite thing. I don't know what to believe. The thing that Enzo fucked up with is that – even if you're saying, oh, he's getting prosecuted before we know, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, fuck you, first of all, but whatever. I mean, I'm not trying. If you read some of the articles, you'd understand where I'm coming from, but I'm, I'm not going to try to get into that. I'm just going to try to get to the, the root details of this and then pass it to Chris. Um, but anyways, what he screwed up by was after having all these freaking problems with the WWE – uh, being wrestling court, which is a big deal. If you're like, if you don't want to join the club, you're gonna have freaking problems. Um, and stuff with getting kicked off the bus by Roman Reigns for all the boys. Um, just different things that's happened with him in the past. Him almost getting suspended. Um, everything lately. He this happened last October, and he just did not tell the information to WD that these allegations were about to happen. Uh, he hid that from him, and he was dealing with them with himself, you know. And that is pretty fucking stupid. Um, I'm not saying that, that that means he's guilty or not guilty or anything like that. I'm just saying that you tell your company what the hell's going on so they don't have to deal with some of the repercussions of them being your star because they're going to get rid of your ass as soon as it gets displayed, especially when they tell, oh, yeah, this happened months ago. So really smart for Captain TMZ. Um, you know, if he didn't do it, that's horrible. His career just got completely destroyed. Maybe he can have something on the indie scene if he gets proven completely innocent. You know, and that sucks because when it comes down to this, the Me Too movement has been great of getting a lot of sloppy, evil people out there. But it's also, you know, kind of a, a scary thing, too, if you're, if you're a guy and a lot of stuff going on with it. Um, 
because people are destroyed before they're even proven guilty. And it's, it's good to that point, but if he did do it, fuck him. <laughs> Goodbye. Uh, hope to never see you again. Uh, I don't know what the hell. I hope, hope Conor McGregor sees you in person and beats the shit out of you since you talked so much shit to him. How you doing? Chris, uh, how do you feel? Uh, I mean, I, I think the way that WWE dealt with it is in the similar manner that ESPN and a bunch of other places have dealt with these harassment and rape allegations with their staff. Um, the fact that he didn't tell them ahead of time, it put WWE in a really bad situation where they had their champion, the, the guy representing their brand, a face of their company, a guy that's on most of their promotional stuff, and kind of a favorite of a lot of the kiddies in the crowd, or was, um, getting accused of something like this and it coming out public before they could get ahead of it, uh, put them in a bad spot. So I don't feel bad about him getting fired at all. I'm not going to talk on the, you know, the allegations itself. That that's for courts to decide. And you know, I, I'm not a social media warrior going out. I'm not going to denounce this guy or get into fights with people on whether he did or didn't do it. Because at the end of the day, that's not up to me to determine. If he did do it, that's a really shitty thing. And you know, hopefully. The correct action is taken against him, and I hope I never see him in a wrestling ring again. But at the same point, like I, I don't know anything about it, so I, I'm in the same boat as far as uh, you are on that. But I, as far as the company, seeing people kind of berate WWE firing someone um, who hasn't really been, you know, proven guilty, uh, I think as a company you kind of have to do that, especially with the women's movement and what how hard they've tried to push that. And the fact that he was in a storyline with Nia Jax, which was supposed to be a romantic relationship, like where do you go from there with his character and this out in the news? So to me, letting him go um, isn't a big deal. He's a contractor. Um, if he's proven innocent, you know, he can always go the Kobe route and come back and maybe he'll be even more beloved and they can play it into a storyline or whatever the hell happens. But to me, I don't think WWE did anything wrong by firing him. In fact, like that's what, I would have probably done as a company as well, especially he's a contractor, you know, like WWE doesn't have like have long-term contracts where you're guaranteed money and it's very few and far between. So um, it's kind of a long time coming with him too, just because he kind of seems like a shitty person with all the stories that have came out about him uh, and his personality specific locker room. So uh, it's all it's all hearsay for right now, but I, I have no problems with the way WWE handled it. Is basically all I'm trying to get across, I guess. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you, and um, I just I guess because of the the situation, um, I don't know. I, I get a little bit less calm about it, um, but yeah, I, I think that there's no one that can judge him until he's judged, basically. So when it comes to that concept. Um, just, just very, very well said. Uh, I will say that, man. I don't know what the hell um, is going to happen really with the cruiserweight division. I mean, I don't want to say that Enzo was keeping that alive, but he was definitely helping it out a lot. Um, unfortunately, uh, the funny thing is, uh, speaking about all his problems and what you were kind of alluding to, I think, is that Enzo uh, still now has his own locker room. It's completely separate from everyone else's. Uh, so he doesn't really talk, communicate with anyone. In real life, him and him and Cass haven't talked since his injury. He never really apologized, you know, which he shouldn't have had apologized, but, I mean, he didn't really feel sorry for being a part of the reason why he's been out for months. 
Um, and from what Corey says, uh, Corey Graves, that interview that he had with them, which you haven't seen it, Chris, I would definitely check it out on the network. That was pretty much all real. That wasn't any type of bullshit or any type of thing. He just seems like a, you know, a schmuck regardless if anything happens. So whatever, uh, see you some other time. Um, uh, I beat your ass with DDP today on WWE 2K18. It was fun. It was glorious, uh, as Bobby Roode would say. But let's go over something that was um, – it was fun. Um, it was interesting, Chris, but I wouldn't necessarily say that uh, – I mean, I think it's exactly what me and you thought it was going to be. Uh, but the, the, the Raw 25th anniversary happened. And, um, you know, right away it starts off. It shows us that the Manhattan Center, that JR and King is there, and they're pulling a – and I didn't know they were doing this. They might have disclosed information, but I had no idea – but um, that they were doing at two different places. So they were pulling a WrestleMania 2 or 3. I don't remember which one it was. And they're also at the Berkeley Center for a full entire thing. Chris, what, it was so awesome seeing the Manhattan Center uh, done up exactly like it did on the first night uh, from those old school recordings of the first couple of Raws. But I was really hoping that the Berkeley Center was going to be dressed up like Attitude Era Raw with the exact same setup everywhere. I thought that would have kind of been cool, but uh, they didn't do that. But um, just just from the general look of the start of it and finding out it was two different locations, I didn't know if you knew that beforehand, but how, what did you think going in? Before yeah, I think started? that I – yeah, I think I'd caught wind of that. I really liked the uh, the way they made the Madison Square look – or the Manhattan Center look um, with the ICO – old school ICO banners. And, I mean, it really did feel like – you know, the original Raws. Um, and the the only weird, it always gets weird with the double arenas. I think they did a good job, good job at it on this particular show. Uh, but I, I'm kind of in the same, uh, the, the same vein as you. I wish they could have done a little more uh, with the Raw stage, maybe some, you know, brought Kane's pyro back for one show, uh, kind of had him have that moment or, or some different stuff like that just to play a little bit harder into the nostalgia, which is what the show was kind of all about anyways. But yeah, um, I thought, it, I thought it was a, uh, it's cool that they did it in two locations. It's just always, it seems kind of jumbled when they do it. Uh, I, I kind of, it's like weird for the fans that are actually there. And that kind of makes me feel weird. One or the other, you're watching part of it on a jumbotron. So I kind of wonder what that was like in the Manhattan center uh, being that they're, Tron's kind of small there. Well, apparently from what Dave Metzler said, it was brutal. Uh, the fans turned on everything very quickly and were chanting during the cruiserweight matches that they had in between that were not televised, their they're dark matches. Um, we want a refund was a chant. Um, people are pissed, basically, because, you know, the Berkeley Center got a lot of the action. Uh, they got Stone Cold opening it, and we'll get into that, and, we'll, and a couple other things, but uh, I mean, besides the weird, vague uh, Ultimate Warrior-based um, fucking thing that Undertaker said, I don't even know what the hell. I have no idea if he's retired. I couldn't even be able to tell you from that whole entire thing. Um, and and that ending DX thing, they didn't really have a lot of matches. Um, before actually, let's let's keep on talking about some stuff before we go into it, um, because this is going to bother me, and we'll break it down obviously too. Uh, but like some of the things I want to say that. I enjoyed a lot of it, and me and you were worried about this affecting the stuff going forward because it's the go-home show and the current storylines. I understand that Matt Hardy put up, you know, hey, 
I'm now broken or whatever the hell. This is, might be building to a bigger storyline. But, you know, so far, Bray beat him. He made him woken. He beat him. And now Bray beats him. And it's like, well, what the fuck's the point of the feud anymore? Um, between that and the revival, mainly, I would say, why the hell did they bury? Well, not even bury, but why the fuck did the revival lose? And why the hell did Wilkie Matt Hardy lose? I honestly don't know unless they have big plans for, you know, Gallows and Anderson uh, as far as them beating the Revival because the Revival basically had a squash match the week before, which I thought was to try to make them look really, really strong. Um, granted, I know they wanted to do Bullet Club and, uh, you know, DX for that. They have had them beat, like, uh, Rhino and Heath Slater or the Mistarage or just anyone that wasn't a team that you're trying to build. Dango. Yeah, I thought that was just really, really weird, especially with a crossover show where they have tag teams. I mean, I think, like, you could have gotten away with putting the New Day here um, against the Balor Club or something like that. Um, because the new, if the New Day loses, it's not going to hurt them. Um, it's just proven. They're kind of, like, bulletproof, especially if DX interferes or, or however you want to handle it. But, yeah, it, it was weird that they just went over clean. I don't know if maybe the Revival did something that pissed off WWE or what I, I don't want to read too much into it because once again it with dx being involved anyone can lose uh, <laughs> when, uh so yeah. it, it was just it was just weird coming off a squash match um and kind of no build up but uh the bray wyatt matt hardy thing it felt like a blow-off match but i, I think they're going to keep that feud going so that was yeah that was to me it was really weird to have bray just beat him clean um going into the rumble i I don't know if they're going to try to establish some banter on Twitter or do something on the pre-show for the Rumble. I mean, are they? Do you know if they're a confirmed match? I don't think I they haven't are. heard that they are. So anything that they do is going to be during the Royal Rumble, I would think. I'm assuming that they'll both be in the Royal Rumble if they're not having a match. So, so I, Matt's I don't probably going to eliminate them to even it out because then there would be two and two, and they probably need a fifth blowout match. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that would be my guess. Matt won. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he eliminates him. That would make a lot of sense. Um, I just, there were some weird things. Jim Cornette, I don't think he knows about the Randy Orton House of Horrors, Bray Wyatt thing, but he pitched that. He thinks, thought that that match should have started at the Barclays Center as some, like, you know, false kind of anywhere or some bullshit like that, and then ended up at the Manhattan Center uh, to, like, have a prolonged, like, you know, fight and stuff like that. He, Thought it was kind of it, it was just it was like two minutes and fifteen seconds or something like that. It was very very short. Um, but yeah, we'll talk about some more wonky things. There's a lot of fun stuff, including this opening. So opening happens. The show Stephanie and Shane McMahon are in the ring. Um, you know they're talking about the whole entire 25 years, and they said that it's all because of one man that they're here, obviously, and everyone else is there, and this whole thing's here. And they bring out Vince. Uh, it was great to hear the uh, crowd really get behind him for the no chance in hell. Um, I, I popped for that personally. And Vince is in the in the uh, you know ring and he's being very humble and they. I just love the switch when he finds out he got the plaque, you know. And what did they say? They 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 uh, did a a crowdfunding or whatever. Hilarious. And he just switches from Vince McMahon, Vince Kennedy McMahon to Mr. McMahon, like like nothing. And starts saying that it's cheap and just like Brooklyn and starts going off at everyone. And, I mean, honestly, you, you always forget, oh, yeah, this is one of the greatest heels of all time. 
Like, not only does this guy create such a massive empire for wrestling, but in wrestling, he's also incredible at getting heat. So anyways, he starts going off on Shane and on, on Stephanie, and he says, like, I don't need you guys, and I don't need any of you. This is all because of me. No one helped me out. And then the, the, the glass, you know, hits. And, of course, Stone Cold comes out, as anyone could imagine, but it was so awesome. Comes out there. I, I love the audience. It's the only time, people, that you're allowed to say what, for Christ's sakes. But perfect stuff. Vince is, like, talking about how, well, it's 20 years, Steve, since the last time you saw me. I'm now on AARP. And, like, you know, all stuff, like, I have a bad hip and, and all this crap. And, but, but Shane, he's fine. And then Shane's like, wait, what? So Stone Cold goes, does his little handshake that he has with Shane um, and then gives him a stunner. And then Vince start, keeps on talking and uh, goes back to uh, Stone Cold. They give, you know, they embrace. They start drinking a beer. In one part, he makes it, like, splash all over him, which you could tell Vince was pissed because I don't think he wanted beer all over himself. There's another part where I thought was hilarious that Vince started chugging a beer and wasn't really paying attention and holding it, but he was, like, right next to Shane. So, basically, beer was just dripping down Shane's face. And I don't know if he was trying to rip him or if it was an accident. It was pretty funny. Uh, but the whole entire thing was great. Uh, of course, his music hits. He's about to leave, and all of a sudden it stops. Vince is like, why is the music stopped? And he goes, oh, yeah. Turns around, gets a stunner. <laughs> Stone Cold helps Shane up, stuns him. Uh, great, great stuff. Um, there was an online interview afterwards with someone, and, and, and Steve was fully in, you know, Stone Cold, uh, you know, concept and everything. And he went off on him, and it was great to hear that. But one thing that really bothered me from this is that he didn't talk the whole entire time. And, I mean, the audience is talking for him, but I thought it was really weird that he didn't have a microphone because he's one of the best talkers of all time, in my opinion, in wrestling. Uh, Chris, how'd you like the opening? And did you also think it was kind of weird that Stone Cold, you know, didn't talk at all? It was weird that he didn't end up cutting a promo. Uh, I think that they were trying to get through a lot of this stuff as quickly as possible. And with someone like Stone Cold, he's not going to read set lines to get through this. They're just having him come out and just be a straight badass, old school Stone Cold style, hit everybody with a stutter and leave. Kind of made a lot of sense from that standpoint. Um, I loved it. I think these are the, the, you know, to me, Vince McMahon and Steve Austin are the two reasons the WWE is still around. Without them, WCW probably sinks that ship. Um, so it makes sense starting the show with them, starting the show with Vince turning on, uh, turning on the heat, getting the heat right on, like snapping so hard from, you know, kind of what he was when we saw him last, kind of being, uh, a caring father and coming to the aid of, of uh, Shane McMahon in, in, in kind of a sense and getting headbutted to going back to just straight Mr. McMahon in the middle of this promo with a plaque. It, it was, it was fucking hilarious. And uh, it was just great to see Austin and Vince uh, just for that moment. It, Cause to me, they're, you know, they're the reason that the company's still around uh, in a lot of ways in, uh, in, they're both such a big part of that raw legacy that it, it was great to see them both there. And it kind of went down with what we thought was going to happen, which was Austin hits, you know, stunners on everyone and, and leaves. So I th- that was a pretty good prediction on our our part, I guess, but it was kind of the easiest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely, I enjoyed it a lot and uh, it was great. And it's also just nice that, yeah, he's trying to play a character. Um, 
but obviously Stone Cold, like those hugs were sincere as shit. Like if you if you listen to his podcast, Stone Cold considers Vince like a father figure to himself, but like a lot of the wrestlers actually do, including Bret Hart, and he'll even admit that now, you know. So even with him and Shane, like they're good friends. It was just funny. It's like, yeah, we're doing this again. Like, like I'm sure Steve was just buzzing going down that ramp one more time to do the old school concept that made him famous. And I love watching it. It was definitely one of the nostalgic things that I really did enjoy. I enjoyed actually every nostalgic thing that happened. Um, it's more of the stuff that was current that kind of bothered me. Let's go into the first match of the night. Sasha Banks, Bailey, Mickey James, and Oscar defeated Absolution, Alicia Fox, and Nia Jax. Banks won the match on her team by submission with the bank statement on Fox. After the match, an impromptu battle royal broke out, which Asuka cleared all the competition and won. Um, like the ending to it. It was, it was actually uh, probably, I would say, one of the better matches on the bill. Um, I guess. Uh, how did you feel about it, Chris? I thought it was really weird that they had, you know, the good guys kind of win and then had Asuka attack everyone. Um, cause to me that, that would be a heel turn and she's obviously not, I mean, she's always, she's kind of a tweener, I guess, but it, I, I just, I'm not a huge fan of it. Um, I get what they're trying to do because this is also the go home show. So they're teasing who might win the Royal rumble. Um, I thought the match itself was fine. The impromptu battle royal at the end of it was just confusing to me. I think that would have been a good time, especially. I honestly think Oscar is going to end up winning that Royal Rumble, um, so it would have been a good time to have someone else, you know, kind of throw her out, uh, as opposed to doing the opposite. But you know, uh, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't hate it. I just, just I, to me, it would have. To me, it was almost like a heel turn for Oscar, even though that's not the. It's uh, not how. I think that they wanted it to be portrayed. Yeah, not not only that. I mean, just like you're saying. I mean, they did the same thing on SmackDown with Becky Lynch. If you had, if Austin's going to win, if you had someone knock her out, that makes me go, huh? I wonder how they're going to do this. They're setting it up kind of weird. But if you have Oscar win all for the Raw thing that you just did, and then Becky Lynch does the same thing on SmackDown, those are two of the top choices. It makes me think neither one of them are going to win. They're, they're going to go with someone else. So kind of wonky on that, but, uh, you know, what are you going to do, brother? So we had Kurt Angle had a backstage segment and cameos from Jonathan Coachman, Harvey Whippleman, the Brooklyn Brawler, Brother to Love, Teddy Long, and the Boogeyman. Uh, the Boogeyman also, you know, gave Coachman a bunch of worms. That guy, I mean, here's one of the things, like, towards the end of when I was watching wrestling in the 2000s, I was like, what the fuck is this? Um, but, yeah. So that happened, um, and then we'll talk about. Well, let's go through this because then we get the Undertaker thing. But uh, how how did you like this this little spot? I thought this is actually one of the ones they could have done without. Kind of put these guys in different places. Uh, maybe combined aspects of uh, Mark Henry one to save on some time for the matches. How did you feel about it? Uh, I I mean it's it's cool to see all these guys like Jonathan Coachman and. And uh, Teddy Long, it's always fun. The Brooklyn Brawler being there was kind of a nice little nod. Um, I think the highlight of the entire angle is at the very end because I think Jonathan Cole, like, had like, or not Jonathan Cole, Michael Cole had like the best dad joke of all time um, because like Boogeyman hands Coach <laughs> a worm and and Cole says, "How did Coachman worm his way in here?" Which is just like, just like, oh, so it was like dumb. cringeworthy, but it was also just a great dad joke. Um, 
The Mark Henry angle, I think, might have actually got cut out of mine. I watched it on Hulu, so either I missed it or it got cut out. So yeah, probably I, missed I'm, it a little I, bit. There's a if you want to go on there, um, it was hilarious. If you want to go off their website, there was a video, Chris, of the Brooklyn Brawler giving. Um, oh, what the hell is his name? The guy that has a losing streak right now, Kurt Hawkins. Uh, Kurt Hawkins, it, yes. Is that his name? Yeah, giving yes. him like a pep talk. It's hilarious. He's like, you know, I've had your problem before, but I beat Triple H once. And then in 94, I won a battle royal. And like, it's just, it's hilarious. I would definitely recommend anyone. But it was definitely good to see Bruce Pritchard dressed up as Brother Love. Because he loves you. Um, but yeah, that was, it was, it was whatever. Um there's a little bit of trimming the fat. I think that could have happened, and maybe that could have been one of the segments, um, especially if you got clipped from the Hulu version, maybe the Mark Henry part two, because you can put these guys in it anywhere. There was a running joke with poker that we'll get to, but uh, let's talk about this Undertaker promo. All right, Chris, um, I have no idea what it meant. Um, there was also nothing from the rumors of John Cena, like leading me to believe that he's going to go against him. Uh you could say that maybe that was a retirement speech because he was like, all the souls that I have buried, may you rest in peace. By the way, uh, you kind of tend to forget Taker with the whole speech because I was listening to it. I don't remember all of it right now. Um, Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar have beaten you, so you haven't beaten everyone on the planet. Love you, but I'm just saying. And, uh, yeah, I have no idea what that ending meant. I don't, I don't know if that means that, like, something might happen in the future. Um or I'm done. Rest in peace. I have no clue. What, what did you get from all that? To me, it sounded like a guy trying to do a retirement speech in his gimmick. Um, basically, like it was his way of. I, I think when he at the end he said, you know, for all those you know who had fallen, it's truly time you rest in peace. And I think he meant like people who had retired and people who had passed away, but the wording didn't really like, I don't know. It was, it was weird, but it did kind of sound like he was trying to retire. Um, there was definitely some emotion in his voice. You don't really get from Taker that often. So I, I don't know if it just came off weird or if it's because he was trying to do a retirement speech and is, you know, as the undertaker. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, it could mean anything. And it's the Undertaker, so maybe he doesn't know if he's done yet. Maybe he'll know in two months and then do another one of these speeches. Uh, I don't know. All the analysis I've heard kind of <coughs> the same way as, as me and you, where it's like, do we know, like, for sure? Because it didn't really – I mean, it didn't go one way or the other. I think he said some stuff, you know, that kind of pointed to him hang, you know, hanging up the boots. But I don't know, man. That was kind of a weird one. Uh, it wasn't a bad promo or anything. It was just, it's kind of weird, confusing. Like, like, like Chris. There's, there's like way down here in the bottom of a fucking mountain for 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 weird promos. There's Ultimate Warrior. Then you go up about I don't know a couple floors and you got Broken Matt Hardy. Then you go a little bit more Bray Wyatt. Like it wasn't, it wasn't, it was maybe Bray Wyatt ish. Like, but good Bray Wyatt. Like not current Bray Wyatt. Like it was so vague and weird because he kept on making it sound like. I'm a warrior, and I beat them. Oh, okay, so he's going he's gonna to have another match. But it might be the road or at, at the end. Okay, never mind. He's retired. Like, he kept on going. Like, I don't remember exactly word for word. I just remember that little ending. 
Um, but you know, whatever Taker does, great. Um, uh, I would I would prefer for him for his body's sake because I mean he was kind of like limping a little bit. Uh, you know, we don't we don't we got this Taker. I appreciated that he didn't wear his hat and his jacket, kind of symbolically. A lot of people are pissed off that they didn't like lower the lights, but um, that was actually I I don't know if that was Taker or if it was just them realizing it, but. That was actually how he came out uh, when he came out the first time, uh, but way back on the first episode of Raw. So they were trying to like mimic that with the lights on. So I mean, I have no idea what's going to happen with him. Um, I, I personally think these, this means he's retired. But let's just play the game a little bit, Chris. If he's not retired, he shows up Sunday night, maybe in the Rumble somehow just start shit with someone like he did last year or something like that. Um, who do you think it's, I don't think it's John Cena anymore. Who could you see him going against potentially at mania? Well, I mean, do you do Roman Reigns versus undertaker part two? Do you do Matt Hardy versus undertaker? I, I honestly don't know. I, to me, like I, we talked about this last week, the people that I would want to see him go against would be either, say, like a Chris Jericho or a Shawn Michaels, which the Shawn Michaels thing is probably 100% out of the question. Um, yeah, so is the Sting thing, which is my number one. But, yeah, Chris Jericho would be great too. But, you know, I, I guess Matt Hardy would be a good one if he eliminates Bray Wyatt. I don't know. Maybe you could turn it into a three-way match, and that wouldn't be as taxing on Taker. And you could get Taker, Bray, and Matt Hardy and build to it. Um, that's not what I want my final Undertaker moment to necessarily be. Uh, no. I don't think it necessarily helps Bray or Matt beating Taker at this point. So to me, I hope he's just, I hope he is actually done and it was just a bad promo. But it's not anything against Taker. Like, I love The Undertaker. I just don't think they have anything interesting to do with him. Um, no. Maybe, maybe if you get someone like Chris Jericho who can just be so entertaining in the ring, you could have a, a good match. Uh, but it's, I mean, is there anything that you would want to see him do with a current superstar? That's the that's the thing. Is like most of the people I can think of who are like on the roster right now and going to be part of the Rumble. I just don't see them going head to head with Taker. It being no, I, I agree with you. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Well, um, no, I, I was going to say I, I agree with you. I mean, there's not currently on the product. I know this, this is, this is going to sound silly, but I'm still a huge mark for Aleister Black. If he was on main, like in those couple of years somehow were changed and he was actually on main first year doing good, having a good run, that would be awesome. Um, that's not going to happen. Things not going to happen. Shawn Michaels is not going to happen. Um, Great Mood is not going to happen. That's another dream fucking scenario. Um, so out of the current people, Roman Reigns is pretty much locked to Brock Lesnar. I don't think that's changing. Uh, you don't put him in with Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns because then I guess he loses to both of them. So it gives him two. I don't even know. I mean, I don't even know how that, that, that math works. But uh, there's Braun Strowman, who we don't know who, what the hell he's going to be doing at Mania. He's actually strong enough, you know, and Roman Reigns is a big, strong dude, but he's actually strong enough to be able to get Undertaker to a pretty good match based on his strength. Um, 
and, and Undertaker's size for that matter. You know, um, there's not many other people um, that I can think of that would make a lot of sense. Uh, I think Finn Balor would be weird. I think you could do it against Kane for both of them retirement. Like, that's it. Like, that, that's their last match going out. Um, and let them just have, like, another thing of just tearing it up in the ring. That'd be a good way to go out, actually. Um, I don't care who wins, actually, in that, because Taker's had two strikes. He gets a third strike, he's done. Or Kane loses. That's not going to really make his legacy look any worse. He's lost to Undertaker. So that's an idea. I would say Braun Strowman, that, or the guy that you suggested that I liked. I don't remember exactly right now. But um, oh, I think we're both I, I think we're both in, in – what were you going to say? I had said Jericho. That was the first person that came to mind for me. Yeah, Jericho. But uh, other than that, I think we can both say that we we prefer Taker just stay retired, right? Yeah, 100% agree on that. And uh, I love Taker a lot. I just I don't know that he's going to have a quality of match that I want to remember him to go out on. I think what he did with Roman was pretty good considering the injuries he had going into it. And um to me, I think that he's already left his mark on the WWE, and it's time he can just chill or be a part of the back, help help uh, write some stories and stuff. So what you're saying is he had a good legacy. <laughs> yes, 100%. Well, I completely agree with you. Um, all right, well, let's keep on going. We got a nice little segment that paid tribute to former uh, general manager characters, bringing out Joe Laurinaitis, William Regal, Eric Bischoff, and current GM Dan O'Brien. Uh, right after that happened, there was awesome part. It sucks because I loved what happened right after this, and I'm about to talk about it, but it's not going to happen. But anyways, The Miz made his entrance for the uh, IC champion match and had an amazing stare down with Daniel Bryan. Like they got right nose to nose and just great playing that up for the fans. I appreciate that. I wish that we could see that at mania. I'm sure both men do too. Cause like, I know Miz is not the most, you know, crazy guy in the ring, but he's also, I think a safe worker. And I think that he would be able to have a good match with Daniel Bryan. And it would be so amazing if this were to happen, Chris, if, you know, if, if that does happen, him and Miz go at it. Maybe he beats Shane some other pay-per-view beforehand, and then his second match is that Mania takes the IC title away from the Miz. God. Uh, but let's go over the match first, and then, then I'll get your opinion. So the IC championship match, the Miz defeated Roman Reigns. Um, the Miz-Tourage interfered multiple times, allowing the Miz to expose one of the turnbuckles. I didn't even notice it, too, so that was actually pretty good that, that uh, the announced team said they didn't notice it. But he exposed one of the turnbuckles. Reigns missed a spear and crashed into the exposed uh, turnbuckle, was dazed. And then the Miz got him with the skull-crushing finality to win the match and become an eight-time IC champion, one underneath Mr. Chris Jericho. I think the two of those guys need to tangle in the future. Um, but uh, how, how did you like that, Chris? And um, how do you feel about the stare-down beforehand? I don't think it means shit, but I'm, I just loved it. I loved it because they continued that storyline and the Miz has been so dedicated to it since he got that great promo on talking smack. Um, him and Daniel Bryan, every time they see each other, they kind of do this. And, and I love, I just love continuation, like keeping the history between wrestlers alive, having that feud uh, because you, even going back to, you know, Daniel Bryan um, early days, he was feuding with Miz. So 
even if he came back for one feud for WWE and it was against the Miz, that's not a bad place to put him uh, before he, if he decides to go to, you know, New Japan or Greener Pastures or whatever, because like you said, Miz is a safe worker. Um, and I think that they have good chemistry in the ring together from what I remember from those early matches. As far as the match, I thought it was kind of well done. They have to get the title off Roman uh, because to me, we'll talk about predictions later, but you know, usually whoever wins the Rumble is going to go for the title. So I'm assuming that's going to be the case with Roman Reigns. Uh, I don't know how the fans are going to react to it, but I think that might be where they're going with that. Uh, if, you know, if he becomes a participant in the Rumble, which I'm assuming he will. Uh, <clears throat> but, yeah, I like the match. I like the ending. I like the old school uh, turnbuckle endings when they're done well, and I thought it was done well. And... Just overall, I thought, you know, it was just interesting to see the the Miz Daniel Bryan stare down and to also see a title change on the 25th anniversary of Raw because I, I honestly didn't see that coming. I didn't see the title being dropped there. Uh, I don't know. It's going to be weird because this kind of makes – doesn't make a Roman look that good. And honestly, um, I mean, I don't know this because I didn't book it originally, but I feel like the original goal before um, Dean Ambrose got hurt was – them stay tag champions until Mania, win at Mania, and then Roman have the IC title and the World Heavyweight title. Like the Shield has all the titles. I really feel like they're building to that, and they had to like obviously revert. Um, and it makes sense to go back on the Miz. He's a great placement for the IC title. Um, and I don't mean that in a bad way either. I love the Miz. Um, but yeah, uh, it's it's, it's going to be interesting. I just he loses the IC title. I mean, even if he get his head smashed into the freaking turnbuckle. It's Roman Reigns, and now he's probably going to win the Rumble, because I agree with you, and go against Brock Lesnar for the title. At least if he wins the Rumble, he works for it, I guess. Um, you know, I was thinking I was thinking Finn Balor, honestly, but now at this point, I really I, unless unless somehow uh, they finally figure it out and Braun Strowman loses the match earlier in the evening, and then is in the Royal Rumble unexpectedly towards the end and just annihilates everyone probably going to be Roman Reigns. But what are you going to do? Uh, next, we had Christian make a surprise appearance to the host, the episode of The Peep Show, with guests Jason Jordan and Seth Rollins. The bar interrupted, and a fight broke out, ending with Rollins accidentally hitting Jordan with a springboard knee. Um, dude, I got to say, you know who's actually starting to turn on me in a good way? is actually Jason Jordan. Um, not only do I think that he's a very, very like strong dude, uh, especially for his size, um, but I, I think he's actually able to get heat from a crowd, and I think I could be crazy for this, but I really think that he's going to have a heel turn coming up very soon, um, and possibly him and, and Seth Rollins will probably have a great match at WrestleMania if that does happen. But um, I loved how I don't – you can tell when someone's out there and the crowd is just destroying them, and they don't know what to do, but it was funny because it was like Jason's like – and we should be nicer to my dad. You guys need to, you know, and it was so, it was, it was getting over, at least with me. But um, how'd you feel about the peep show? I felt bad that Christian had, like, four lines, and then that was it. It's like, if Edge was there, they probably would have, like, you know, talked for, like, an hour. But, you know, I love you, Christian. I, I love Christian as well, and it's kind of, it's kind of a depiction of his career that he only got four lines in that segment, all honesty. <laughs> um, but uh, I, you know. Yep. 
I, I like the segment a lot, and I do think Jason Jordan is totally uh, playing into the crowd a lot, knowing that him being with Seth Rollins is such a weird, awkward thing, and playing up the dad angle so often and being, you know, a tag champion, I think has really helped him a lot. So when they, you know, unfortunately for Dean, for Dean getting injured, it really helped Jason Jordan in the storyline, because I do think you can do a heel turn out of this and, and do it really well without uh, – without doing my original idea, which is everyone finding out that Kurt Angle is not really his dad. But, I mean, you could also still do that uh, if they wait until Dean Ambrose gets back and they want to have, you know, Dean versus Jason Jordan and then uh, Jason Jordan versus uh, Seth, kind of a back-to-back kind of thing, or give him a new partner. I think there's some cool stuff that you could still do with the Kurt Angle's not actually my dad angle as well. <laughs> as well. So it's very interesting. Uh, I like the I like the segment a lot. I thought it was kind of cool. Yeah, I enjoyed it myself. All right, we have a, uh, a backstage appearance. Um, first, Alexa Bliss comes out talking that trash, and then Sean Flair is like, hey, small one. As she towers over her and cuts a promo, and then you can see her dad, obviously, Ric Flair, come up and uh, say a couple things, and they wooed. And um, love Rick. Man, it was hard seeing him like that, man. It really was. Uh, Rick Flair is 68, Vince McMahon 72, and Gene Okerlund 76. And I got to say, I love Rick, and all of them, it kind of took me back how old all of them looked. But, you know, Rick's, uh, Rick's definitely aged himself. I mean, he had a fun life, but holy shit. Um, before I pass to you also, Bray Wyatt defeated Matt Hardy. Kind of talked a little bit about that. Wyatt Penn Hardy with his sister Abigail. Very quick at the uh, Manhattan Center, very abruptly. There wasn't a lot of, I mean, after building like we have, it was kind of like, boop, boop, like that was it. Um, could have been interference. They could have, Jeff was there, you know, and a part of a scenario that we'll kind of go over. But, uh, Chris, how did you feel about uh, the whole Matt Hardy losing to Bray Wyatt and then also the promo that Ric Flair cut with Charlotte Flair against Alexa Bliss? I, I liked the uh, promo, and I liked Rick being there, obviously. I love anytime Rick's on screen. Um, especially with his daughter. I think he really, really appreciates it and really loves being um, in segments with Charlotte because he's super, of course, super proud of her at this point. Um, The only thing that kind of disappointed me was that it wasn't in front of any of the crowds. It was a backstage kind of interview. So that, you know, I wasn't super stoked on. But other than that, you know, it, it was building to the rumble. I thought it was a good you know, little segment, and it's always fun to see Rick and Charlotte together. Uh, the fist bump at the end with Ric Flair and Charlotte was kind of just funny. Just watching Ric Flair fist bump someone <laughs> in general is just, especially considering, you know, like watching all of the Ric Flair from like the 70s until now is just kind of a, just a funny, it's like seeing a grandpa, you know, fist bump someone. I don't know. It just, it's entertaining to me. Um, not that grandpas can't fist bump. It's just, it's just always funny. Uh, the broken Matt Hardy and Bray Wyatt segment, I, I think I said pretty much everything, like how I felt about it for the most part. I, it was, I mean, it was a seven minute match, but half of it didn't really seem like a match. A lot of it was just Matt, uh, chanting and doing them both kind of doing weird stuff. And it was weird that, uh, Bray won clean. And, and like I said, my, my guess is that Matt's going to eliminate Bray Wyatt in Royal Rumble and that'll build to wherever they go next. Um, I hope that we get more of Matt's been teasing it 
on Twitter a lot, but I hope we start getting more of the Hardy family with uh, Rebbe and Senior Benjamin um, and Jeff, our brother Nero. I think that kind of helps complete his character. Not that Broken Matt's not great on his own, but having all of those different pieces to play off of is what made his character so great. And I think you can say a lot uh, of the same things about Bray Wyatt, because I think once he lost the Wyatt family, uh, he, he's been kind of in a rough spot. Dude, if we could just get a Wyatt family reunion against the Hardys, oh, at Mania, that would be a lot of fun to build up to that if they do it correctly. But they won't, and just still hurt. And uh, Bray is better off by himself, I guess. That's proven it. Uh, either way, yeah, I thought it was, like I said, just a little bit weird that they kind of handle it that way. But what are you going to do if it's building to something else? Uh, Matt did come online and said that now he's woken, that it makes him feel broken. Or I don't know, you got to read it. But I think this is trying to add towards the storyline, even if they weren't intending to originally. All right, so then they paid, um, paid tribute to female trailblazers. Uh, which is a basketball team, um, by bringing out the Bella Twins, Maurice, Lillian Garcia, Maria Canellis. By the way, Maurice and Maria Canellis, pregnant as shit. Jacqueline, Kelly Kelly, Michelle McCool, Tori Wilson, who looks younger somehow than she did beforehand, Terry Runnels, and Trish Stratus. And Trish got a huge pop. Um, I'm glad they added, like we talked about, a couple people to add some credibility to this list. Um, it was nice seeing all the ladies because, I mean, I've watched a majority of them, even if they weren't the greatest wrestlers during a time period, like, you know, Terry Runnels looks very different than she used to. Um, uh, just one thing, and even uh, Lita commented on it, where the, where the hell was Lita? Um, some are believing that this might be the reason why Lita wasn't there is because she's going to be at the Rumble. Um, that might be bullshit. But either way, I found, out, found it very, very strange that Lita wasn't a part of the group of people since she's been so, you know, um, helped them out with commentating so much lately. Uh, Chris, did you find that weird, and how did you like seeing all the ladies? Uh, I kind of liked it. I, I, I'm glad they didn't do what I thought they were going to do, which was going to be like a battle royal or something, um, or, you know, with some of the newer talent and the older talent mixed in. I think the way they did this was was fine. Um it was really nice seeing Trish uh, in WWE gear. The time I saw her was she was in the ring with Snooki. So this is a better moment than, than that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I'm glad that we didn't see Snooki. That would have been great. All right, so then we had Elias in a couple segments. First segment, so awesome. Kind of weird because we just saw Chris Jericho in Japan, but Chris Jericho appeared in a backstage segment with Elias. Uh playing a song about him. He was like, hey, man, can I use your guitar? And he's like, uh, no. And he goes, all right, well, I brought my own. And he starts playing. I think he was playing Judas um, from Fozzie, which is his band. Pretty damn good rock song, if you ask me. But um, And then he kept on, like, joking around that, uh, I'm going to add you to the list. And he's like, no, I'm just kidding. Actually, and he just adds to the list. And then Elias uh, played a song in the ring, insulted celebrity guest star Jimmy Fallon. Fallon was there. Uh Per a bet he made on the Tonight Show, that was actually a pretty funny segment. Uh, John Cena interrupted and challenged Elias to a fight. Elias hit him with a low blow and then bashed him with the guitar. Chris, are we going to be seeing uh, Elias against John Cena, possibly at Mania? 
I mean, if Elias eliminates Cena, is I mean, I'm assuming Elias and Cena are both going to be in the Rumble. That seems like that's how they build these kind of things. Uh, but yeah, I think it's possible you could see those two at Mania. They don't have a whole lot for Cena to do right now, and they're trying to build Elias. I think they've done a really good job with him. I think he's getting better in the ring. Um, his promos have always been, you know, pretty good for a guy that is literally just playing songs on a guitar for the most part. I think it's the best rendition of that kind of character I've ever seen. Uh, like Honky Tonk Man was terrible, in my opinion. Jeff Jarrett, yep. when he was that character, wasn't great. Um, the Road Dog, to that extent, when he was that character, wasn't great. So if you compare him, Elias is like a genius. Uh, it was really funny, the stuff they did with Chris Jericho. <laughs> and it was great seeing Chris Jericho. The, the songs that they both had were, were pretty pretty damn hilarious. So I, uh, I like the segment, and I kind of... I thought it was a big moment for Elias being with those two stars. And uh, I'm assuming it's setting up something for him in the the rumble, like some sort of spot, either with Cena eliminating him or him a surprise eliminating Cena. I think it would be great for him to eliminate, you know, John Cena. Because uh, if you remember, I guess it was a few weeks ago or maybe a month ago, they had a pretty good match. It was on, it was on Christmas. It was the Christmas Raw um, between Cena and Elias. So I think they might go there again uh, at Mania. And I'm completely down. I do like Elias. He's definitely one of those rising stars I'm enjoying. Um, he is good on the mic. He's good at getting heat, too. Even if people like him, he can make it turn very I, – I appreciate him. But, um, all right, so we had this running segment the whole entire night, and this kind of brings it up to the next match that we're going to. Heath Slater lost a bunch of money, even though he's got kids, in a gigantic poker game that eventually included Rhino helping him out, the APA, uh, then the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, came in, which is awesome. Very meta. He ended up winning it, too. Uh, the Usos, MVP, Jeff Hardy, random, Natalia, The New Day, and Titus Worldwide. Like, this made so much sense, especially like Titus Worldwide was there, you know, Ted DiBiase, and uh, Dana Brooke accused, accused Slater of cheating, which set up a tag team match that, uh, DiBiase won the game. Ron Simmons said, damn, of course. Damn! Mark Henry flirted with a girl that Godfather had, thinking that was one of his hoes, and asked Godfather if she was there for him. And he's like, man, you know, we, I thought we just talked about how we changed in life. This is my wife. Very funny. Um, and then that was about it. They kind of reminisced about the old days. It was definitely not the Mark Henry you know, scary House of Pain version, but uh, it was good seeing Sexual Chocolate come back for a little while. Uh, Heath Slater and Rhino versus Tice Worldwide was a no contest when the Dudley boys came to the ring. Everyone threw Slater into the ring, including Rhino, who's also friends with the Dudleys. He's like, you can have fun with this guy. Um, And they did the What's Up headbutt and then the 3D through a table. And then Mean Gene Okerlund made a guest appearance to interview AJ Styles. He was like, he's like, I don't remember what her name is, but she's so boring. Um, but he was like, you know, hey, you know, you're a great interviewer and all, not really, but you got to get out of here because someone else here. And then Mean Gene came out. He did a Hulk Hogan impression, which I thought was kind of funny. I wonder if he got in trouble for that. Um, but how, how did you feel about the whole running gag with the, uh, the poker match and then the, the match – with the Dudleys coming out, and then also AJ cutting the promo with Mean Gene Okerlund. The, I, I really liked the poker gag when DiBiase showed up. I thought I thought it was funny. It did actually make me laugh. And, of course, with him winning, 
um, and you get the the dam at the end. It was it was it did make me laugh. I didn't uh, I didn't get a, like I said I, I must have missed the Mark Henry thing, so I'm not sure if it was cut or if I just straight missed it. So apologies to Godfather and Mark Henry. I'll I'll go check that out later. Uh, the match itself, like the crowd seemed dead for it. That uh, Slater Rhino match and uh, Cruz and Titus O'Neil, they seemed dead until the uh, the Dudleys showed up, and it was fun seeing the Dudleys. I kind of we kind of knew when we talked about this last week that one of these lower tag teams, either the Mizraz or Slater and Rhino, somebody was going through a table with the Dudleys being announced. So. Um. The interview with AJ Styles, I, I thought it was kind of funny that he did kind of a Hogan impersonation, especially with Hogan not being here and the internet kind of talking about how, you know, without Hogan, the WWE probably would have never gotten to Monday Night Raw and all, all of that stuff that was all over the internet last week. So I thought it was kind of clever of AJ to do that. And I also thought it was great that they that he pulled in uh, Mean Gene Okerlund. Um, so it, it, it was, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was kind of great. Yeah, it was fun with that. I think the match, I don't know, I think they could have done something quickly involving the Dudleys. They didn't have to have part of a match to save time for possibly the other matches that they should have saved time for, maybe mainly the Bray Wyatt match. But it was fun to see the Dudleys come out, give them a 3D. Um, the next part, we go back to the Manhattan Center for the last segment. Everyone uh, has pitchforks at this point. They wanted to kill everyone. Cat, I'm trying to get you off me. So, no, get off me. God, I never own a cat. Just kidding, they're great. Demon wants to be bitchy as hell. <laughs> yeah, one's enough for me. Um, anyways, so we had Triple H and Shawn Michaels made an appearance at the Manhattan Center to thank everyone for supporting Raw. They were joined by the New Age Outlaws. They did that whole entire thing, that spiel, which is great. X-Pac came out. They introduced Scott Hall. Then the Ballard Club also joined the group to to sweep them. That led to the final match tonight. Gallows and Anderson defeated the Revival. Uh, when the Revival came out and started talking shit, they had a very short match. Um, I wish they would have used another tag team, like I said beforehand, but we've kind of gone at that. And then after the match, everyone did their signature moves to the Revival because they weren't done, and they tried to take on, like, nine people. Like, that's a very intelligent thing to do. Um but uh, how did you feel about the DX2 suite, you know, all that? Did, did you enjoy it? I think a lot of people wanted to see it with, you know, Nash and Hall being there, the the Balor Club showing up and doing the two suite. I think that that was a good moment for fans to kind of watch both. We're big New Japan fans. So I actually enjoyed it. I thought it was kind of a fun moment. Um it seems like some of these segments before this went a little long, so they didn't. You didn't get as much DX as you actually kind of were going to get during this show, which I'm kind of okay with because to me, they don't focus around the core of DX now that you, you they're constantly pulling Hall and Nash in. Uh, but I, that's a story for another day. The match itself, I, I'm just completely baffled on why they put the revival here. <laughs> And why they had them lose? No idea. It just, it just seemed very weird. And and I, I, if there was one thing that like I think they could have erased from the night altogether, it's this match. I don't think that you even need this match. I think there's other fun stuff that they could have done with the Balor Club and DX that didn't involve an actual wrestling match. And then they could have done a longer match in some of these other places. So a lot of this stuff, like I said, is is more of just 
I mean, the two the two worst things on the show were, you know, to me were the Bray Wyatt match and this the Revival match because I don't think it did anything for yeah. Matt Hardy and I, I don't think it did anything for the Revival. Um, and then the rest of it to me were just fun little segments and uh, a couple of matches thrown it sprinkled in, which is kind of what I assumed the show would be, would be overall. Exactly. I mean, we got what we paid for, if, we, if you will. And uh, I did enjoy a lot of that type of stuff. I kind of wish AJ would have came out, um, too. That would have been really meta, really cool. But, you know, I understand why they separated that whole thing. Um, the only thing is, and I just realized, I know it was Raw, but he was also wearing his red outfit. I wonder if he's kind of like giving a little uh, tip of the hat to Hulk Hogan. But either way, uh, getting back to this. Um, after everything went off, Apparently, first, Miz came out, started talking shit to all of them with the Miz Uh And then I think Ric Flair came out, called out the Miz, said some stuff, went back, and then um, Seth Rollins came out. And, that, and I'm pretty sure you can see this part online. Seth Rollins comes out, Miz cuts a promo on him, and then he gives him the big knee, and then everyone kind of gangs up and beats the crap out of the Miz. And that's how they ended it at the, the Manhattan Center, if anyone was wondering. But then also the final segment of the show went back to the Berkeley Center. So Kurt Angle bringing the competitors for the Universal Champion Triple Threat to the ring, because that's going to be a good idea, with other superstars and legends acting as lumberjacks. Brock Lesnar hit Kane with an F5, and then Braun Strowman put Lesnar through the announce table with a running power slum for like the 15th time. Um, he can pick him up like it's nothing, Chris. How do you like the closing segment for the night for the 25th anniversary? And how did you like it overall? Uh, I like the show overall more than I thought I was going to, minus the two spots that I already mentioned. I, you know, the ending made sense because this was a go-home show, and this is the match that are building that entire pay-per-view around outside of the Royal Rumble. Um, it was more of the same of what these three guys have done. I was surprised not to see Paul E. Paul E. Heyman. Uh, do more on the introduction, but obviously they didn't have as much time as, as they normally would, um, especially because, you know, you could consider him part of Raw. He was an announcer. I think that he could have been focused on a little bit more, probably being the greatest manager character in, in Raw, recent Raw history, at least from the Attitude Era up, I would say. But um, other than that, man, I thought it was pretty, it was a good way to end the show. Um, and then also Cole playing up that Lesnar was hurt and how that would come into play, you know, makes you wonder if they're going to swap the title. But I, at the end of the day, I don't think they're going to do that. But at least they're playing into it a little bit more. Strowman picking him up like he's nothing. It does help that, that Lesnar, when he works with Strowman, he actually pulls his pro wrestling boots on and, and tries. So he, he probably goes up a little easier than he does with most other yeah. people. So, yeah, I mean, but yeah, Braun Strowman Brock is also is just a monster. Fuck. Very, very true. And Strowman's a monster. He's like a he's like a giant yeah. John Deere tractor of a man. <laughs> well, that's what both of those guys kind of have in common is the fact that like, you know, brought back in the day. I mean, but like, they're probably about the same age. Well, maybe maybe Braun's a little bit older, but the fact that those guys are so big and so massive, but so fast. It's scary. Like, jeez, well, I don't even know. Um, either way, I'm sure we're going to have a fun, like, match at the Rumble. But, hey, why don't we just talk about that Royal Rumble? Because it happens this Sunday. So uh, the first thing I want to kind of go over with you, Chris, 
Men's Royal Rumble, we kind of talked about who we think is going to win, but, I mean, let's go into it a little bit. The, the, uh, the people that we know for a fact that are in it, this might be not updated, but John Cena, Finn Balor, Randy Orton, Shinsuke Nakamura, Elias, Baron Corbin, Matt Hardy, Bray Wyatt, Aiden English, Rusev, Tennis O'Neill, and Apollo Crews. And I'm um, pretty sure Apollo Crews is not going to win. Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe it could be a big upset. But three questions I'll have to you. Um, who do you think is going to be the – you know, out of left field choice as far as maybe like a past guest. What new guy from either NXT or someone they're pulling that you could see being in this? And then the last one, um, who do you think is going to win? I think that you said Roman Reigns, but are you really confident on that choice? I feel pretty confident on the Roman Reigns choice. As far as past guests, so many people back at this point. I, I honestly, I don't have a great answer for you. I, I would maybe Batista. I think that would be a good kind of redemption, especially if he doesn't win the Royal Rumble, if he just shows up one off. Uh, but he said in the past he didn't want to do that. So uh, I don't, you could, how long has it been since Hacksaw Jim Duggan showed up? Maybe Hacksaw Jim Duggan. <laughs> like, I honestly don't, I honestly don't know because like, they did this 25th anniversary of Raw, and they kind of had all your usable sus- suspects as part of that. So this this could be one of the Royal Rumbles where more of the surprises come from the NXT side as opposed to old guy side, and I'm completely fine with that as long as they don't you know run in and get eliminated immediately. And as far as who I think to win, I, I do still have Roman as the winner here just because he dropped the title. And the plan all along was to have him and Lesnar, so I kind of I'm still going to stick with that um, being the Mania match. What uh, NXT star or non-person um, signed that's you know maybe like a EC3? What what newer guy do you think could make his debut uh, like Ty Dillinger did last year? I don't know if they want to go that route, but I think Aleister Black would be perfect uh, for the Royal Rumble to come in and have sort of the Kane spot since Kane's not going to be in the match and just eliminate like like 10 to 15 people. I think that would be a good spot for him, even if you're not going to have him win. I think EC3 would be fun as well. Um, you could do EC3 Insanity with some spots there. Um, but I, it just really depends on what they decide to do with NXT and the title be released before the Rumble leading up to TakeOver the day before Mania, I would think. At least you, we should know storyline-wise what they're going to try to go with. Um, but to me, I, I think it would be a good time. Even if you're not going to bring Aleister Black up, you could have him have a ton of eliminations um, because they built Kane really, really well doing that over the years. And there's always one guy in that spot, and I think Aleister Black would be a good one that would really get a pop out of the fans. Yeah, that entrance music would definitely make a huge pop. I could see for for that, I mean, I was actually going Velveteen Dream, but either one of those guys, if they just want to test the waters and see how a big audience reacts to either one of them. I mean, they kind of do that with main event because both those guys have performed on main event. But, I mean, this is the World Rumble, so obviously they can get, like, see how they are, how they fare in that type of uh, situation because, you know, I think that they, they could do well. Um, 
as far as an older professional wrestler, you know, actually, I'm going to say someone that w- was there uh, in a segment that you didn't see, but I'd love to see Mark Henry come out and do pretty well for a, a you know, majority of it if he really is on his, you know, last uh, run, if you will. Um, especially if it comes somehow down to him and Braun Strowman throwing blows, that would be a lot of fun. Maybe that could set up a, a mania match. I mean, it's not exactly what we want, but because Braun's something to do, um, another person to destroy, but uh, not 100% sure. But yeah, for winner, I, really, I wish I could say Finn Balor. It's probably going to be Roman Reigns, and they're going to waste. I mean, we all knew it was going to be that happening at WrestleMania, so I really hope it is for AJ's title. And even if Finn Balor won, I wish that he would go specifically and challenge AJ. I think that would be awesome, the concept, especially with him in the club. Um, but yeah, that's what I think. Women's Royal Rumble. So, so far we have out of this Asuka, Ruby Riot, Liv Morgan, Sarah Logan, Sasha Banks, Nia Jax, Bailey, Naomi Natalia, Sonya Deville, Mandy Rose, Mickey James, Tamina Snuka, Lana, Carmella, Becky Lynch, Dana Brooke, and Alicia Fuchs. Um, same three questions, Chris. Who's a legend you could see involved in this? Who's someone from NXT? And who do you think is going to win? I think Lita or Trish would be great legends to add to the match, but I think either of them you can't do your typical rumble spot with. You have to have them stay around um, the match quite a while. Because, I mean, to me, they're both so legendary, and they're both in pretty good shape still, That especially with Mickey James still being in there, which I think that she's going to be part of the rumble as well. I don't know if we named her or not, but... Um, I think those would be two good picks. As far as NXT goes, uh, is is Ember Moon injured or is she back? Oh, she's back. She's uh, defending okay. the title Saturday night with uh, against uh, Sheena Baszler. That's right. They're do- yeah. Okay. Nikki Cross, I think, would be good, or Peyton Peyton Royce. Yeah. Either of those two could be good NXT. Uh, it would be. It'd be cool to see Kerry Ojo there, but I doubt they would. I doubt they're going to go that route yet. Um, but those would be my two picks outside of Ember Moon. I would love to see Ember Moon maybe lose her title and then just go and win, like win the Rumble, or at least have her the final two be her and Asuka and kind of rekindle that feud on the yeah. main roster. So I thought that feud was so good. So if Ember Moon drops the title, I think that she would be my surprise NXT pick. And then as far as who I think is going to win, I've, I, I've kind of stayed with this the entire time, I think as we've talked about it, but I definitely think Oscar's going to come out on top. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Oscar is the smartest person I think to pick. Um, but it's weird. Maybe they're going to throw us off. I have Nia Jax one or something like that. I have no idea. I completely agree. You had my, my exact two choices between Peyton Royce or um, Nikki Cross. I think that would be great if either one of them showed up uh, just to cause some chaos and uh, there is rumors that Molly Holly might be participating, which would be great. But if she is, and we get another legend, obviously, like you said also, Lita or Trish. I mean, it just makes sense at that point. So we'll have to wait and see. But I'm really looking forward to this Royal Rumble as much as I'm looking forward to the men's. And uh, I'm, uh, Ronda Rousey apparently said that she's not going to be in it. But guess what, folks? It's pro- I mean, it's probably true. But she wouldn't tell you if she was in it if she was in it three days beforehand. So who fucking knows? All right. How about this universal championship match? I mean, 
It's going to be a fun match where they're all going to beat the crap out of each other. Braun Strowman's going to do the most work. I can tell you that. It's going to make it look like they're like they're you know they're nothing. Somehow they're going to have a comeback of some sort. Um, and then Brock Lesnar is going to beat Kane, and Kane's going to eat a pin. Braun Strowman's going to be somehow preoccupied or smashed through a table when they both double team him. I mean, is there any other way that, that that's going to happen, Chris? I kind of feel the same exact way about that match. I feel like Kane eats the pin here, and then you probably set up a feud between Braun and Kane, basically Braun blaming Kane for the loss. Um, maybe Braun goes after Paul Heyman. I think that's a good way to get him out without actually making him look weak, as opposed to like having him get demolished and then Kane lose. I think you you have Braun you know, about to utterly destroy Brock, and Brock's like moment of weakness. And then, you know, Paul Heyman does the no, no type deal. And Braun just looks at him and drops Brock and goes after him. And Paul runs up the, what is it, the ramp. And you have Braun chasing after him. And then you have Kane just get beat by Brock Lesnar. And Braun turns around and realizes what happened. And he's like, son of a bitch. And he goes down and he beats both of them up. Because I feel like that's how you make Braun look strong. Don't have him like get knocked out and then Braun beat Kane. Because at Nothing cost him the match at that point. It's just that he wasn't in the right place at the right time. And that's the storyline they always do with these. I think you could do something really funny with Paul Heyman and, and Braun that would make Braun look more like a monster character they try to build him as. And that's how I would book it. But um, what you said is probably more likely what's going to happen. I don't see Braun eating a pin here. So I think Kane's definitely going to be the one that gets pinned. And I definitely feel like Brock is going to be walking out with a championship still. Yeah, I'll be pissed if he eats the pin. I that will just make me go, what? Um, next one, WWE Championship: AJ Styles versus Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. I uh, and we didn't talk about SmackDown and how weird that whole ending was with the fact that the they kept on saying Sami Zayn. They haven't started the match, so technically Sami, even though Shane was watching it with with Daniel Bryan. Sammy violated what he said that he wouldn't do, which is be, you know, involved with the match beforehand or something like that, or, you know, interfere basically. Like that's what they kind of made it sound like. And then now it's nothing. So uh, Kevin kind of tricked them because he hurt his foot or whatever. And had a, it was actually a pretty damn good match between Sammy and AJ though. Oh, it was a lot of fun, but I don't know what there's going to be some type of stipulation thrown out for something that happened during the match that they're going to equate right before the damn thing. Uh, Sunday night, so um, I feel like AJ Styles. I don't. I, I don't think they would let co-champions happen with the freaking WWE Championship. It's the most prestigious championship period in wrestling. Um, I think. I mean, look at the lineage on it. I don't give a shit about the universe title. Uh, it just means you're a monster. Um, but Chris, who thinks gonna win this? And how do you feel about the stipulation about the handicap and everything? <sighs> the handicap. Handicap match for the title is very, very odd. They've done it in the past with Vince, I believe. And if you're going to do co-champions, having, you know, Sammy and Kevin win it is probably not the worst idea. Um, I think you could kind of work it like they used to work, uh, you know, the heel New Day where, like, you think you're having a title match, but really you're not pinning the person that they say is champion, and they'll go back and forth with that for a while. Um, 
I think it could be fun. I think it could be a fun thing. I think it'll be it'll be weird. Um, but if they're going to take a risk, I, I think I could see you know Sami Zayn winning the title here, them both defending it for a while, and then Kevin Owens versus Sami Zayn, and you rekindle that feud and you can break them apart and hopefully make Sami Zayn uh, the baby face that they actually want him to be coming out of it. And during the meantime, I don't know what you do with AJ Styles. Maybe you get AJ Styles versus Nakamura. So I, I do I'm think AJ okay might drop, drop the title here. Yeah, I think I think AJ might drop the title, um, honestly. Which, I mean, AJ can get that back pretty damn quickly. He's done it before. Um, well, I mean, not this, this is the second reign, but I'm just saying the amount of time – you know, AJ's a good go-to, obviously, for world champion. So, if they did that, that would be really interesting. And uh, it would make sense because they would kind of, like, start picking at each other of, like, who the real champion is. So, the only problem is, that, you know, I mean, Sami Zayn was up there with Bailey and freaking Steamboat as far as babyface quality. And he 180 that is so annoying with the yep movement. So, it's it would be hard to get him as the babyface. I don't think they're going to turn over KO either. But either way, just, like, seeing them. They'll, they'll have a good match at Mania. They'll have a badass match, actually. Um, so that's interesting. Um, all right. So we got Seth and uh, Jason Jordan versus The Bar. Um, I got to be honest with you, Chris. I know that I kind of have this feeling going into these matches with Seth Rollins and The Bar and not Jason Jordan thrown in the mix. But I just don't care about this match. Um, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because of the fact that it's been Seth Rollins and someone else versus the bar, back and forth, back and forth for the whole entire tag division on that side. But um, I don't know. I I think that the bar is going to win, I guess. But I, maybe Seth Rollins and Jordan wins. I, I just feel like they could set something up between Jason Jordan and Seth Rollins because, I mean, maybe Jason blames Seth for the loss, starts crapping with him afterwards. It was actually Jason's problem. You know, and then – from there, they they start going at it to some extent. Seth Rollins can even throw the fact that he threw in a friggin' chance to be in the damn rumble for this tag match, and his stupid Jason Jordan screwed it up. Something like that. But do we really want to see the bar as the champs again? And what do they do with Seth Rollins and Jason Jordan as champions going forward? I, I just I don't know exactly what this one. Um, how do you feel about it? Uh, I, I, f- I feel like Seth and Jason are still going to – they're going to retain the titles. I think if they're going to drop it to anyone, it'll probably be down the line to either Luke Anderson and Gallows or uh, or the Revival once they get the wheels back underneath them. Um, to me, the reason this match is uninteresting is exactly what you said. It's been back and forth with the bar even since, like, the Hardys won the title at last year's WrestleMania. So the fact that they haven't been able to build any any sort of tag team movement in Raw because of the injuries and the things that have happened there um, kind of sucks, and it makes you know me not want to watch this match uh, too much. I know it'll be a good match. All the guys involved are, are very talented wrestlers, but I'm kind of like you. I'm like, eh, it's just the same match I've seen like kind of over and over and over again. Yeah, I agree. And, I mean, it's completely different than the next match, which I'm looking forward to. SmackDown Tag Team Championship. It's not the Usos versus the New Day anymore. No, they've actually started a new, uh, you know, uh, and they already have chemistry with Chad Gable. But Chad Gable and Shelton Benjamin in a two out of three 
fall match. Very interesting to have as a stipulation for a tag match, but still should be fun nonetheless. Um, how do you feel about this tag team match and compared especially to the other tag team match? I'm more excited for this tag team match by a lot. I, I think that this is going to be a very energetic match. The Usos have, have had great matches this year as tag teams go. Um, I kind of don't want to see them drop the titles. I want to see them either break or tie New Day's record, and then you get that match. Because I feel like that the, they, those two are kind of simultaneous with each other. But also, I do realize that the tag team division does need a title change at this point. With uh, And Gable and Benjamin are the right guys to kind of give those titles to. And then you can get uh, the Usos versus the Bludgeon Brothers, the New Day versus the Bludgeon Brothers, and then eventually, you know, Gable and Benjamin versus the Bludgeon Brothers, or however you want to do that. Um, but the SmackDown Tag Team Division's in a lot better spot. Even if they keep the belt on the Usos, with the Bludgeon Brothers being there as kind of like a, another anchor monster tag team, and then having, you know, the New Day still there, I, I think you just have a lot to, lot more to go to with SmackDown right now. Until, Like I said, until they can get the wheels back under the Revival and kind of get Anderson and Gallows um, some wins, some meaningful wins. I completely agree. Well, in those only matches, they were supposed to have an Enzo match against Cedric Alexander, but obviously that's canceled. There'll probably be some type of pre-show match involving that. Uh, this makes me think that I'm pretty sure the United States champion – is not being defended there, um, and also the Intercontinental title, I should say. So we could be seeing The Miz and also Bobby Roode in the uh, Royal Rumble. I don't know, unless the match is made the next four days online, which nothing's been reported. But uh, either way, it should be fun. It's the Royal Rumble, so I'm looking forward to it. You know, I'm hoping that you are too. Uh, but let's get to the last 30. Well, we have, we have 30 minutes to be able to talk about this. With this whole listing, I've, I've, I've realized, Chris, um, let's just do as many as we can. And, you know, if it fucking, we, got, we only get eight done, if we get like 20, great. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't even think we should worry about it. Um, maybe I'm the only one worrying about it out of the two of us, but that's all right. Uh, but anyways, if you guys want to discuss this, this is our final segment tonight. Um, what is going on? I'm trying to tell, well, call 929 why is my thing screwing up, Chris? Yeah, but well basically, uh, when we do the list, I would like your feedback. So if you guys have someone that you'd like to compare, and remember the list is we have 100 wrestlers. We're comparing the older wrestlers to newer wrestlers, yada, 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 having a discussion about it. So if you want to call, call 929-477-3781. Uh, press 1, and you will join the conversation. All right. First one that we have, a guy that we really enjoyed seeing at Raw. Um, Chris, who do you have for the million dollar med million dollar man, Ted DiBiase, um, aside from Ted DiBiase Jr.? Uh, I actually have JBL, and as far as a character goes, I think JBL is probably one of the closest, and in kind of a little further out there because I'll know I'll make another comparison with him, uh, probably further down the list, but uh, also a Kazuchika Okada and some of the way he carries himself being the rainmaker is kind of similar to being the million dollar man. Um, and if you've heard some of his earlier promos where he was more of a heel, it was a lot uh, kind of similar to Ted DiBiase, but that's kind of where the buck stops because their in-ring work is completely uh, different. Not that Ted DiBiase was, you know, Ted DiBiase was a great wrestler too, but 
um, Okada is kind of fucking nuts. Yeah, he is fucking nuts. Uh, Ted DBS, they also have JBL. Um, just makes a lot of sense with uh, with him. I mean, he's not only done. The, I mean, he reinvented himself as this whole JBL concept, but same concept of I have money, therefore I'm better than everyone. Kind of put more of like a racist twist. Maybe that really wasn't a twist. I don't know. Um, I mean, watch his feuds with Rey Mysterio Jr. You know what I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, and also I, I have for modern. The uh, modern-day Maharaja. Yeah, completely different location, but same arrogant, rich dude that's, I'm better than you because I have money. You all are peasants. He just directs it towards Americans. Ted DiBiase didn't really care. But uh, I love Ted. Uh, great wrestler and one of the greatest heels of all time. Well, at least for me because I was young enough to remember him. Um, outside of just being Stone Cold's, uh, uh, call manager. But uh, my, my next one is one of my favorite wrestlers, that, man, I mean, I think he has so much in common with uh, my comparison for him. But uh, Kurt Henning, uh, father of uh, Kurt Saxel, who's a badass wrestler, great wrestler. Um, but for him, I have someone that's constantly compared to Shawn Michaels, um, Dolph Ziggler. Uh, Jim Cornette, who was the first person to help out Dolph, um, I forgot which one place he was running. I think it was the same place that involved Brock Lesnar and all of them. But, uh, yeah, Ohio, or um, I don't remember. But, anyways, he said it, and he said times Dolph is incredible in the ring. He can put on a great performance. He's good at being a heel. But I think the main thing is he's, he's a I, – I, I believe uh, Bubba Ray referred to it on his podcast as a good little worker which basically means that he's a great in-ring talent. He won't get to a certain place because they know that he'll stay and do, you know, as he's told. It's not really a good term. It means that you're really, you can put on great matches, but they're not going to put you to the top or anything like that. They just know that you're a great in-ring hand. So you get kind of limited. And unfortunately, with both Dolph Ziggler and obviously Kurt Henning, they both have that in common, even though they accomplished a lot in their careers. I just think Kurt Henning was an incredible wrestler, his matches with Bret Hart, definitely would check them out on the network if you get a chance. Uh, actually, a lot of his matches. But um, who do you got for Kurt Henning, Mr. Perfect? I had two for Kurt Henning. Um, I also had Dolph Ziggler. I think they have a lot in common, both career-wise and just kind of being really reliable workers that can kind of work with anyone. Um, the other one I had is more of a gimmick-type deal, which is uh, the Perfect Ten, Ty Dillinger. I think his gimmick is very similar I think that if he could have channeled some more of the Mr. Perfect top style stuff and not just been, you know, the 10 chance and kind of elevated his gimmick a lot more, I think he, that he would have had a lot bigger character. Um, and it's, there's still time for him to do that uh, if, if, if done right. But the, you know, the 10, the, the perfect 10 and what they did in NXT, it, it kind of reminded me of, of, a very similar gimmick to, you know, Mr. Perfect. But of course, you know, Mr. Perfect also did some really cool stuff in, in WCW. With, uh, I guess he was still Mr. Perfect, but like his NWO run and he did some great stuff there as well. Uh, but wrestling wise, I would say right, right, spot on Dolph Ziggler and gimmick wise, I would say, you know, Ty, Ty Dillinger, the perfect 10, that would also be a good comparison. I think he needs to take it a little further, but I think he could get there. Yeah, I, I could see that too. I like that with the gimmick. Maybe like uh, what is it, Damian Zandel, like someone that's completely like I'm the best. Uh, 
I don't know, that cocky arrogance that only Kurt Henning could. Uh, also one of my favorite heels of all time. Let's just put it that way. But um, next person, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. You have super baby face, incredible in the ring, one of the greatest in-ring performers of all time. Um, super over, beloved by everyone. I think that even if – it's funny because Ricky Steamboat's Japanese, but he's also he's from Hawaii – He's uh, Japanese and, and um, some type of – he's white, basically, is what I'm trying to say. He's mixed. Um, Hiroshi Tanahashi is who I have compared to him, who's so beloved in Japan. He's one of the biggest baby faces of all time. One of the best in-ring hands of all time is very influenced by Ricky Steamboat, even doing the crossbody to the outside, something that Steamboat was really popular with, and has a very – not many wrestlers have as good as an arm drag. I know that sounds really weird as good as an arm drag as Steamboat or Tanahashi um, and just like little other things I just noticed uh, from Steamboat. But also I think a lot of people are going to probably say Daniel Bryan to an extent, the American Dragon. Um, I've heard many people say that about Sami Zayn to an extent of just being an efficient worker that kind of gets overlooked. Um, and now that he's a heel, it's, it doesn't work as well. But I, I, th- I think personally to me, Tanahashi is the best person. But who do you got, Chris? Tanahashi was one of the people uh, I originally thought of, but to go a little outside of the box since you took Tanahashi, uh, I think Kushida, honestly. Uh, I think that he's going to get there even further, but he's a man that always has great matches, uh, especially when you're you're talking about, like, his run uh, with those junior heavyweights. And uh, I I think that he's going to – I don't think his career's done yet, but he's really beloved by the fans. He's a great in-ring worker. Um, and kind of a super baby face. Uh, so that, to me, that was another comparison. And a lot of the move sets that they have uh, are, are kind of hard. You know, it's hard to compare, like, Ricky the Dragon with some of these guys of similar size just because of how, you know, like, some of these, like, for instance, Kushida does, like, corkscrew moonsaults and, and top rope Hurricane Rana. Yeah. And you get a little bit of that with Steamboat, but not as much. But some of the more signature moves, like straight kicking people or cross arm breakers or that kind of stuff, I, I definitely see a little bit of uh, of Ricky Steamboat and in, in, uh, Kushida. But Tanahashi is like a wonderful pick. That was probably my number one pick. But if I had a follow-up, I, I would say Kushida for sure. I love that pick, though, because I was thinking Kushida uh, for Rey Mysterio Jr., but it's like, yeah, he's like race. And I mean, those are two of the biggest baby faces of all time. And Kushida is definitely a huge baby face. But it's like race size and some of the, like the more modern, crazy style of wrestling with a lot of steamboat qualities. I love that. Uh, Kota Bushi, for that matter. I know a lot of people are right off the bat going to compare him to Tiger Mask because he's the current one. And they're both great in-ring wrestlers, big in Japan, big baby faces. I can see that. Um, but Kota Bushi kind of, to me, has always had like a Ricky Steamboat thing. Probably should also say Richie Steamboat had a lot of qualities of his father in the ring as well. Um, but, yeah, I love I love your choice. I love, well, obviously my choice because it's mine. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right, uh, British Bulldog. I got Cesaro, Chris. Um, I think that Cesaro, as far as being a great big man who's extremely strong but also being a good worker, uh, especially from the boys, Bulldog was always considered – Agile as shit, great technical wrestling, you know, could perform with, with lots of different wrestlers. I think Cesaro has a lot of those traits. And they're both, even, even though they're big for their size, don't get me wrong, 
they are strong as hell. Like they're two of the strongest wrestlers of all time. Um, was in the WWE uh, ranked, um, well, at least the list that I read. Anyways, uh, who do you got for British Bulldog? I actually went Canadian with this one, and I uh, I have Michael Elgin, who I had compared to what uh, other person uh, previously, but I think Michael Elgin, um, obviously not as built, but kind of just the way they carry themselves in the ring with a straight attitude. Uh, I, I compare him a little bit to the British Bulldog. Uh, I see Cesaro is just such a great wrestler. That's that. I mean, I, that's a great comparison, but, but I've seen a lot of really bad British Bulldog matches. He was a great tag team wrestler, but his single stuff was not as great. So I had a hard time comparing him to uh, to a lot of people, especially because he had such a great physique and everything. So I just went more on the way they carried themselves in the ring as far as how uh, – kind of vicious they looked and Michael Elgin I think was a it was a good comparison at least in my mind ah I like that I, I think that's a great choice I'll throw out two other people because they're ridiculously influenced uh Drew McIntyre uh maybe a lot of people could say that for him and also um oh man the the, the king uh King Barrett Wade Barrett Wade Barrett's a huge Bulldog fan Maybe they, since Cesaro is a lot more agile, maybe they would be, since they're a little more blocky, uh, up that alley. I'm not sure. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I wanted to say those. All right, we got his partner. Um, great technical wrestler, great innovator for a lot of stuff, um, especially as far as his, his stuff in, in, in New Japan in the 80s. But uh, the Dynamite Kid. I have Neville. Um, I think Neville... Uh, as far as for his time, Dynamite Kid was known for being an incredible technical wrestler, incredible high flyer, uh, someone that inspired, you know, Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, a lot of the wrestlers ahead of them, uh, you know, kind of out of his time. Obviously, they're both from England, but that's not really what I was going for. And they both have this tenacity, uh, something that's very similar that Chris Benoit has, and obviously Benoit is someone that you can compare to Dynamite Kid. Um, but I think Neville's a good choice, especially – King Neville, the the current version, and Dynamite Kid actually was babyface in WWF, and he was also heel in WWF, and also in I think New Japan. So you know he could play both roles as well. But uh, I could also see Tyler Bate a little bit too, especially based on his uh, size and how strong he is. Um, who who do you got for Dynamite Kid? Well, I had Tyler Bate. <laughs> so damn it, uh, I had Tyler Bate. I was hoping you wouldn't see him, but I totally see Tyler Bate, especially if you watch um, pre-WWF with, uh, as far as, you know, Dynamite Kid goes. Uh, I, t- I see a lot of similarities between those two guys. Yeah, even body-wise, like, you know, they're both lanky but really strong but smaller dudes. <laughs> I mean, Neville's got that same type of quality, too. But, man, now I know what the next match I'm going to play. Anyways, let's keep on going. <laughs> i got to ask you. I'll let you go first on this one because I stole that last one on accident. Should have just kept my damn mouth shut. Um, but this is one of the hardest ones I had to choose. And I'm not even 100% sold on the person I picked, but Jerry the King Lawler, um, especially mainly because everyone knows him as a heel in WWF and being kind of a perv to, when he was announced towards the end of the 90s and shit. He was such a huge baby face someone that inspired Stone Cold's character, for Christ's sake, so being that badass. Um, who do you got for Jerry the King Lawler, Chris? Well, originally I kind of wanted to go with uh, 
Mystico, um, just because of how big he was in one specific era. Because to me, it's it's very yeah. similar. Because as big as you know, as good as Jerry the King Lawler was, and as big as he was, he was really only big in Memphis. Um, and I kind of consider Mystico kind of the same way. Like he was, he's really only big in Mexico when he made his you know, trip over to the WWE and tried to have a run as uh Sin Cara, it just didn't, it just didn't work. Um, so I kind of see, you know, he's almost the king of Mexico in the same way that, you know, Jerry, the King Lawler is the king of Memphis. So that's kind of my comparison. Granted, like there's not a lot of in-ring work comparisons. I think uh, with someone like Jerry, the King Lawler, you can look at a lot of the guys doing some, some of the more strong style or, uh, some of the more just technical wrestling stuff in Ring of Honor. I think there's a lot of comparisons can be made to a lot of guys, uh, but that's who I that, that's who I have. All right. Well, my I don't even know if this makes a lot of sense. So I'm gonna try to make it make sense. I have Austin Aries. Uh, reason why Austin Aries can be a tough ass baby face, like you know that type of concept. If he wants to, he can also be a pretty, you know almost Chris Jericho, borderline heel, just like a, a dick. Um, and maybe he has, he has a lot of similarities with Jericho, but we'll get there. Um, but I also think that based on the fact that Austin Aries started off in promotions that were non-WWE, got extremely strong um, in TNA, was doing also well in Ring of Honor, but TNA was like his Memphis, if you will. Uh, came over to WWE. Uh, I mean, if you look at it this way, they both were – trying to be talents, but ended up on, you know, even though Austin was, was temporary because he got sidelined from an injury after NXT, you know, they became announcers for a while. Um, color or same heel commentators, basically for a portion of time. Um, Jerry did both wrestling and stuff like that. Austin would go to, to um, the cruiserweight division that didn't work out um, and went back. Obviously King is still wrestling. I could see Austin Aries wrestling, to forever, basically just jumping from promotion to promotion. Someone that never needed the WWE to be considered a legend. Jerry's definitely that. And they both like holding multiple titles uh, and pictures. Both of them, uh, you know, have that. So that's who I got. Uh, I don't know if he's really that qualified, but I wasn't going to do Wade Barrett because he's a king. I think that's silly. Yeah. I think I think that's fair. I, I mean, another one that I had a comparison with was just because of how well they did the King gimmick and kind of the comedy aspect was Booker T, but I thought he was probably a little... You're talking early 2000s when he was doing that. So that was another one I thought of. King Booker. King Booker. All right. Uh, a great wrestler, uh, someone that very underrated and unfortunately was cut short with his career. Uh, Magnum TA, uh, Dusty Rhodes, had a lot of hope for this kid. I've watched some of his stuff on the network. Incredible wrestler. Too bad. I have for him um, Shibata. Shibata is done with wrestling, very young age. They had a very similar length and career. Um, Magnum TA got taken out, I believe, by a car accident or something to that extent. Shibata, unfortunately, did that to himself by doing a headbutt that he didn't have to do and caused brain damage. Um, until uh, spinal fluid started leaking out of his nose. That's how bad it was. Oh, God. But um, who do you have for Magnum TA? 
Uh, I actually also had Shibata on that one, and I'm try- like trying to think of someone else for Magnum TA is a little difficult. Um, size and look-wise, you could even say like Kenny Omega a bit as far as like physique and just look. But uh, the first thing I think of when I think of Magnum TA is is the fact that he was basically pinned to be this next huge star, and unfortunately suffered such a such a terrible injury in the same way that Shibata suffered an injury. For this one, it's kind of weird because it's uh, it's more sad than anything else. It's not a comparison of their in-ring skill or anything, even though that both no. of those wrestlers are actually phenomenal um, in different ways. I, I think they do have some similarities, but not a lot. But this one was hard for me just because it, it kind of just made me sad. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, another person, I'm hoping that the the main thing that they have in common doesn't stay like this, but a lot of people compared him to Daniel Bryan. Um, obviously, Daniel Bryan didn't get a car accident like like what happened with Magnum TA or whatever happened to him. I know that his accident wasn't self-inflicted, unfortunately, like Shibata. But, uh, yeah, I, I I think that's the best comparison, especially since they're such bad, great wrestlers. Um, God, I mean, the only other person I can think of that shortened his own career was hey abusa and that's really horrible so let's not get that depressing we're going to do two more and we're going to leave uh three of them for next time but uh let's definitely get um reza ramon uh aka scott hall um for reza ramon i have carlito cool for scott hall and you don't have to do this i just did this and for scott hall i have baron corbin who do you got for reza ramon i have uh seamus uh heel seamus I think that while the accents are completely different, the gimmick is kind of similar as being this just big badass. And then also they're they're very similar in the ring with a lot of their move sets. Uh, for instance, like Seamus originally when he was doing the uh, the crucifix pile driver uh, was in the Razor's Edge, and and he's also you know said multiple times Razor Ramon was a huge influence. For Diesel, I had a uh, I thought of Matt Morgan and also uh, Big Cass as far as just size and moveset. Um, Kevin, when you start talking about Kevin Hall and uh, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall as a tag team, the only thing I could think of was uh, kind of the bar as far as what they have going. But they're, what they were doing with NWO is so different than anything else that's never kind of ever been done um, with it being yeah. a kind of reality-based gimmick and kind of a, like a takeover. The only people that I could, you know, think of outside of that would be, you know, Anderson and Gallows with the Bullet Club. But that's the comparisons I had for those those two. Uh, I mean, those are the exact same ones for uh, for me too. Uh, yeah, for Diesel, I had Big Cass. For actually, the funny thing is for um, Kevin Nash, I feel like him and uh, Batista have a lot in common, personality-wise, aggression-wise, how they can be chill. Um, and sometimes be a great heel dynamic and sometimes be a great baby face dynamic. It just depends. Um, obviously, their size is a little bit different, but yeah, big cast makes a lot of sense. Um, and yeah, Gallows and Anderson, that's who I thought of, and the bar's very, very close to that. Let's do one more, Chris, and then we'll call it a night. Um, I'm going to save Shawn Michaels and Undertaker for next time. I want to be able to talk about them, but Brett the Hitman Hart, I'm going to let you go first. Who do you got for Brett Hart? For them in heart, I have uh, I have Daniel Bryan. Um, I think their rise to the top was very difficult and kind of overshadowed by a lot of other kind of bullshit where they wanted to push them, but they didn't really want to push them. Um, that and 
I think that they were both probably the greatest wrestlers during their runs uh, to the top. So during the time period, it, it, as far as who was on the roster during that time period. Um, and I think they have a lot of similarities in their move sets and both being kind of undersized guys. Obviously, Brett's bigger than Daniel Bryan by a little bit, but those are the first two that come to mind. And hopefully, hopefully uh, with Daniel Bryan, He'll, he'll get another run, but um, right now, to me, Bret Hart's career, where he could have had the biggest run, was cut short, and his title run was so short in, uh, and kind of just kind of flopped in reality in WWF for different reasons, um, that that was a comparison I made, because I, I can think of great matches with both those guys off the top of my head and kind of name what event and who they were going against and how the match ended and I can't say that about a lot of other wrestlers. Uh, so the, the, those are the two that I have offhand, or the one that I have. It was uh, Daniel Bryan, sorry. I mean, that's a superb choice. Daniel Bryan, like I've said a bunch of times, you can choose them for many people, but that works. Um, when it comes to how I feel about Bret Hart before, he was finally pushed, and like the guy that you need to give a chance, but it's not the greatest dude on the mic. I would say Roderick Strong, actually. I think Roderick Strong is an incredible in-ring performer, very great technical wrestler. They both love their backbreakers. Um, he's not the strongest mic guy. His promos are good. His voice is fucking annoying. Brett couldn't get a promo out even though he had an intimidating voice, so it's a little bit different. But I feel like Roderick, if he was pushed properly, he could be that guy, but people are just not giving him a chance, and he's a great in-ring performer. And it kind of sucks to see him in that type of way. Um, past that, finally getting pushed, dealing with a bunch of bullshit, very similar to how you said Daniel Bryan, and leaving the company like he did, I would say CM Punk. I think Brett's a better technical wrestler than CM Punk. I mean, a lot of the technical greats that me and you like, Chris, even if we don't think that Brett is great, they do or are influence him to an extent. Um, but CM Punk is a monster. Uh, so I would, I would personally go with him a little bit. If you're talking about who's the best technical wrestler, if Bret Hart is supposed to be one of the best of his era, or I would say I'd love to see the match with Zack Sabre Jr., but I had um, Roderick Strong and CM Punk. But um, not only what did you think about those picks, but uh, quickly, uh, you know, exit out, tell the crowd how you feel about them, promote anything you got to promote, buddy. I thought that was great picks, man. Don't got anything to promote this week. Just uh, y'all have a great week and be, be sweet to each other. Y'all be nice out there. Oh, that's nice. I like that. Yeah, uh, everyone be good to each other. But, uh, guys, great show. Definitely uh, enjoy talking to you. And uh, check us out every Thursday night from 7 until 9 o'clock here on Block Talk Radio. And also check us out Geek Vibes Live on Sunday nights, the full court press on Wednesday nights. we got another television-themed uh, show on, on Friday nights. we got everything. And watch the Royal Rumble. Let us know what you think about it. You guys have a good one. And uh, let's put on some music to get this place out of here. What do we got? What do we got? Uh, Oh, here's some Zeppelin. All right, you guys have a good one.
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.